Hey everyone, welcome back to the M&M Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger. Along with me is my ch- co-host, Chase McCallum. And today we are joined by a guest, uh, someone who has been on the podcast a couple times before, but not for almost two years now, looking back at the last time um, from our last Skype call. Uh, you would probably know him on Twitter. Uh, he goes by the name totally underscore offside. Uh, thank you for joining us today. Gentlemen, how you doing? We're doing good. Um, we have, obviously, if anyone doesn't know um, who I just come to call Todd now, um, not his real name, but uh, that's what I've known him as is pro- for probably three, the better part of three years now. Uh, if you don't know Todd, he's a Leafs fan. Uh, he's, he's big on Leafs Twitter. I'm, I'm sure if you've, uh, you've probably seen his account uh, on Leafs Twitter. He's the uh, a Pokemon avatar with the Leafs uh, cap on it, and there's been a different variety of it, I feel like, through the years, but that's the general consensus of how I think I would describe your um, Twitter brand from a, a description point, anyways. Yeah, I like to think of myself more as an HGTV Twitter account, and I just occasionally talk about the Leafs. I mean, there's <laughs> nothing wrong with that at all, right? <laughs> yeah, the House Hunters is, is my passion. Um, so today we're going to just break down um, pretty much the Leafs offseason, just kind of give all of our thoughts on it. I know Chase and I have talked about it a little bit on the podcast, but uh, we're just going to go kind of deep dive, you know, what the Leafs have done this offseason. Are they better or worse than last year? You know, what what do we expect from them this year? Um, so I, I guess I'll get your thoughts on the overall offseason before we actually uh, dive into specific signings. What Just if you had to describe the offseason in a couple words, you know, how did you feel about it? Um, I thought it was fine. Uh, I think uh, my, my buddy uh, acting a fool and described himself as whelmed with the moves that they had made this offseason. <laughs> I think that was uh, pretty apt. Uh, I think they they did about what they needed to to solve the glaring, gigantic black hole-sized holes that they had. Um, but they also made some other moves that I, I think were not necessarily bad, but I don't know that they were necessary either um so it, it was mixed i i probably a little more negative on it or sounding a little more negative than i am i think i think overall i'd probably give it a beat yeah i think that's fair uh chase you know it, I, I don't know if we've actually rated it me and you have both uh liked some of the moves and i know you were questioned on some of the moves as well especially when it came to the veterans uh what's your thoughts on it chase i like b like that's the perfect thing in school where it's like look you did what you need to do you got past the cap crunch. You got a right hand or a right side defenseman. I guess not a right-handed defenseman, but that doesn't really matter. But you didn't really go above and beyond and hit it out of the park either. You just did exactly what, or Dubas just did exactly what was expected. And I think a B makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think I think in any other year I might have been more enthused. Like I, I really do like TJ Brody. I think that that was a really good addition. Um, and I think the price is totally fine. Um, I, I think considering the premium you have to pay, generally speaking, for defensemen that play the right side, um, five million bucks times four uh, is is a pretty good deal. Uh, it takes into his, his mid thirties, so you're probably you're probably only seeing maybe a year of uh, of decline there, um, considering his his current age trajectory, um, based on Don's model anyway. But I I think when you're coming into a season where you're hearing the cap's gonna be tight. No one has any money. Um, your expectations for the types of deals you can grab, I, I think maybe get a little bit inflated. Um, when you see Nate Schmidt get traded for a third-round pick, 
um, it, it puts a bit of a, uh, a curve, I think, on the way that you're going to grade these moves. I think in, in a, if this was the offseason of uh, 2019 or 2018, I probably would be a little more enthused, maybe an A-, minus. but I, I think B is probably where I am right now. Yeah, Chase, I think you described it well, where you're basically doing everything that we expected of you and you executed it well, uh, but you didn't knock us out of. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that's really summed up uh, very well, honestly. Like, um, it, to me, this offseason almost – I'm pretty sure this – obviously, this isn't what happened. But to me, some of the moves this offseason almost just resembled, like, Kyle Dubas trying to get the collective Twitterverse to say, shut the hell up. Like, I'm doing – see here, like, I did what you want. If this doesn't work out, out shut up. Obviously, that's not what it is. They obviously believe that bringing in guys like Bogosian, Thornton, Simmons will help the team in some way or another. But it's like a lot of the moves, and obviously the Brody one was not maybe Brody himself, but they needed some kind of right-handed defenseman. So that that was an obvious enough move. But it was like they just kind of did almost what you see a certain part of Leafs Twitter screaming that they've wanted to do for like three years now since Dubas took over. And I don't know. I, I think overall he did it all well, pretty well just seeing – how low the cost was for bringing in some of those guys. But at the same time, like, I'm not convinced every move is going to work either. Like, I there's, I know people like Wayne Simmons, and they, I think if he plays in a fourth-line role, it's probably fine. Um, but there's also potential where, like, Wayne Simmons just doesn't have it anymore. You know, like, he, he really has not looked good over the past year and a half, two years or so. And I don't, like, maybe lesser competition is what he needs. But also, like, if you need to slide him up to the third or, say, injuries get really bad, second line, you know, they still might be in more trouble than they originally thought. Yeah, I think we'll probably, we'll probably go through all the signings in a more closer detail. But I think at a high level, they signed a lot of players, like an absolute glut of players, both at D and forward and goal even. Uh, and... I think in, in general speak, that's fine. Um, but when you're also dealing with a situation where the cap is so tight, not just for the Leafs, but for everything really, the cap is so tight that you're going to have a lot of teams trying to run 20-man rosters. Uh, it means that a lot of these guys are either having passed through waivers or you're pushing a lot of your younger waiver-exempt players down to the minors or down to even the CHL. Um, no, no one knows what that's going to look like. But uh, it, it means that players like Nick Robertson, Rasmus Sandin, Timothy Milligan are probably not going to get a lot of minutes this year, uh, at least not until later in the year when they've accumulated a little more cap space or maybe towards the playoffs, which uh, I guess is fine. Um, uh, for me, I kind of hope that we can start to see those players transition into more uh, full-time roles. Sandine got a little bit of a taste last year. Uh, Liljegren, not so much, but I, I think everything he's done in the AHL has been pretty promising. Uh, I would have liked to see him maybe get some time on a bottom pair role, but I, I think it's unlikely given the signing of Zach Rogosian and TJ Brody uh, and obviously Travis Jordan who signed for a, a pretty reasonable rate. So it basically keeps him out of the lineup uh, at least for another season or most of the season. And it basically means that Nick Robertson is going to have to really, really knock their socks off to 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 buy a spot out of camp. Uh, other than that, he's probably he's probably going just by the fact that he's he's waiver exempt. So that's maybe where I would be a little bit less enthused about some of these moves. But uh, like I said, we'll probably go through them on an individual basis throughout the pod. Yep. Um, Chase, I don't know if you have anything to add. If you do, just jump in at any time. I'll I'll stop talking. Um, yeah, like I think it's a perfect transition into just uh, going through all the guys they signed and 
Um, let, let's start with the biggest one here. Uh, no doubt uh, the, the biggest name of the offseason. Well, maybe not even biggest name, but definitely biggest signing, most money, and probably going to be by far the most impactful is uh, TJ Brody coming in, you know, to help uh, shore up that right side, which has been a problem for how many years now? You know, they've tried a, diff- they've tried a number of different things from Zaitsev to CC, which are two sad-sounding options, but they've also <laughs> just tried to plug everything else they possibly could in, and, and now they just go out and they pay for a proven top pair right-handed defenseman to, you know, help uh, Muzzin and Riley out. Um, you know, I, I think Chase and I, when when the signing came down, I was pretty impressed with it. Um, I think the fourth year, there's a little bit of danger, but generally speaking, we see UFAs, especially at 30 years old, get six or seven years deals at, you know, six or seven mil, and they just completely backfire. I mean, five mil is, I think, a discount now, and will probably be close to market value for the entirety of this contract. It's just... The age is a little bit of a concern, but even keeping it to four years, in my opinion, was a, a, a solid move. Yeah, so the one thing also I like with Brody is there is some downside risk, obviously, at the end. But there's a lot of, or maybe not a lot, but people have talked about how defensemen's numbers tend to go down when they're playing their offsides. So say it's like the fourth year or whatever, and TJ Brody isn't looking like he can hang it for $5 million anymore. You could always just move him back to the left side and presumably make life easier on him for like 34 year old TJ Brody too. But in the present day, he is exactly what they need for a very reasonable price. Yeah, I think uh, that's, that's a point I hadn't really considered, but I'm not overly concerned about him being on the right in general, because that's basically where he's played at least the last few years. Um, but I think this was this was as good a sign as you could really can hope for. Um, obviously, you can you can hope for the moon, you can hope for those nature net kind of trades, but it's really not a realistic thing to hope for. Um, if you had told me before any of this has gone down, at least we're going to sign TJ Brody for this deal, I've been perfectly happy with it. I think it 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 fills their biggest glaring hole. Um, in many ways, it was a layup. It was it was the easy answer that everyone everyone kind of thought was going to happen. Uh, but sometimes that's the best move. Sometimes the layup is all you have, and, and you can't really, you're not going to be able to pull off a, a huge um, flying slam dunk. So you might as well just take the points you can get. Yeah, and it's also worth noting that with that many assets up front, like I think the Leafs believe, and I think they're right to believe this, that they don't need like a god tier defensive core. Like they just basically need it to be good enough given the level, the quality of their forwards. Yeah, and I think yeah, on the whole, I think the Leafs' defensive core is somewhat underrated in that it, it has a pretty good left side, uh, as good as any, really. There's a couple teams in the league you could point to that obviously are better, but uh, not that many with a stronger side on the left. The problem is they had no one on the right. When Justin Hole is your, is your best right-handed defenseman, uh, you have a big, big problem. Um, and and he was the best probably by a long shot. So when you start adding in players like Brody, um, even if this is not a player who's a, a star, he is so much better than what they had there already uh, that it doesn't take much to make a substantial difference, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I think it was, uh, I think evolving hockey, like the evolving wild twins were, uh, pretty high on their defense core after that Brody signing too, because um, I know their model really likes Morgan Riley and and Jake Muzzin as well. So like yeah, like I, I think even last year I think the defense core was probably underrated just in terms of like people think of it as like a bottom five one in the league, which it just wasn't. It just it didn't have a right side. So 
yeah, their right side was bottom five in the league because you're playing Cody CC 22 minutes a night. But like the upgrade from Brody from CC to Brody is just like almost like, like you just can't, I almost can't put into words just how huge that should be. But also like, I think the important thing we've talked about and we've, it feels like we've been talking about it for years with the Toronto Maple Leafs is, um, you know, now they have the pieces on the defense core or they have more pieces anyways. I want to see more, I don't know if buy-in's the right word, but more of a team structure in their own end, you know? Like, it doesn't have to be the LA Kings of 2012 where it's nothing but defense, 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 but just seeing their forwards actually not bail out on the wingers against the wall or, like, pick up an extra man on the back check. It's little things like that, too, where it's like, I feel like the forwards up and down the lineup, it's not like it's just Nylander or Marner who's doing it. It's, it's all around at times. Like, they need to take more responsibility in their own end, too, and I think if you get that mixed with the defense team, I don't think they're going to be a defensive juggernaut by any means, but if they're even average this year with how good their offense is, that should be more than enough to be one of the best teams in the league. Yeah, I think, I think that's definitely going to be their strategy. Like they're, they're, they're never going to be the the Columbus Blue Jackets or the the New York Islanders in terms of uh, defensive presence or or defensive uh, responsibility. But I, I think that, those teams are that way out of necessity. The Leafs have have something that most teams would kill for, and that's a ton of firepower up front, especially in those top six. Uh, the t- the bottom six, I think, is a little more debatable. But uh, what they what they have in top six, I think most teams would would trade their top sixes for for the Leafs uh, any day. So you basically then are coming in a situation where you say our defense just has to be able to not get shelled. And I think the problem is there were way too many places where other teams could take advantage of the least with the way their, their defense was last year. You basically had uh, a first line where someone was being overplayed and uh, with either CC or Barry, depending on who it was. Uh, and then a bottom, bottom line seems like CC or Barry, whoever it was basically the only line you could count on uh, for the, for the Leafs at any point in that season was Muzzin and Hall uh, because it was the only line where you had two defensemen that were capable so in, in bringing in TJ Brody, you're pushing everybody down uh, one slot on the list, uh, and you basically just have nobody back. Uh, and if there's anything that the Vegas Golden Knights have proven, uh, there's immense value in just not having a lot of holes. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, yeah, like I think it's uh, just the ability to even say, um, you know, the past couple of years where it was like, well, you know, this this decor won't look that bad if Travis Dermott just steps up and is a number three defenseman. Well, yeah, with the addition of TJ Brody, Dermott just needs to be a number five this year. And, like, I think he's already shown he's more or at least capable of being a five. You know, I think he's a four slash five. But it's like just being able to bump someone down is, is such uh, a valuable asset for a team that already, you know, like – this was their one weakness. Well, you know, it, this was their biggest weakness anyways. And I think, it, you know, it, it's been uh, not completely solved by any means, but it's been definitely shored up this offseason. So uh, let's transition in a couple of the bottom six guys because they, they obviously um, – actually, you know, we'll start with their middle six kind of trade. So to get rid of – to be able to bring in Brody and a couple of the other names we'll get to in a second, they had to make a pair of trades this year. Uh, they had to trade Kasperi Kapanen and uh, – as well as um, Janssen. Um, these two trades look very different, uh, considering they're only about a month apart or so. Let's start with uh, the Kapitan trade. Um, you know, your reaction when it happened, and maybe your reaction now seeing some of the other trades and the value from other trades since it has happened. 
Yeah, uh, when that trade went down, I thought it was an absolute fleecing. I thought the Leafs took them for a ride. And ever since then, I've only felt that more pronounced. Uh, uh, the types of deals that are getting made, you've got, I hate to keep coming back to it, but you've got Nate Schmidt going for a third-round pick, and then you've got Kasperi Kapanen going for a first-round pick, a a good prospect and a roster player. The Leafs ended up walking away from Rodriguez as the roster player, uh, but still, it's it's a return that's that's not even any way comparable to a lot of what we've been seeing. So the fact that the Leafs were able to jump in early uh, and get that done, I think they were they were very very smart to do it. They were able to kind of get ahead of a market that that really seemed to be diminishing for for players in that price point. Um, which I, seems to be uh, uh, an opinion that's echoed by a, a lot of other GMs, given all the rumors that came out that, that they thought the Leafs did very well and that they would not have been prepared to give up what uh, what they did. I think it's a little bit of uh, maybe karma or the universe is trying to tell us something when uh, the Leafs end up trading Kessel for a first-round pick, a good prospect, and a roster player, and then the 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 prospect that they get for him, they end up trading for a first round pick, a good prospect and a roster player. So um, with, with, with uh, any luck, that means that we'll, we'll then again be trading this prospect for a first round pick, a prospect and a roster player in maybe five years or so. Um, but, but on the whole, I think it was a, a really, really good trade. Uh, really. It was addition through subtraction. I think they, they had players that could do similar things to what Kaplan could do. Uh, and they were able to add a ton of assets through it. Yeah, I mean, like, I think uh, um, looking at it, even at the time, like, uh, you know, when the trade happened, it was the first uh, trade we had seen since the trade deadline, right? Since February 24th. So even just seeing at the time without, no, we kind of assumed that the market was going to be more of a um, buyer's market more than a seller's market, right? Just because there were so many teams wanting to get rid of cash. So it was like, but even without knowing how kind of extreme that became, I think even if you just took this to a normal offseason, I think this was still a huge win for Toronto. I I, I I go back and forth. I think it's an overpayment clearly for Pittsburgh, especially when you look at what the market turned into. But, like, if you try and, like, put this to a normal year, I think it's a little more balanced. But, like, if they made this trade last, last offseason, assuming they're in, you know, the same cap problems they were in this offseason, I'd be like, yeah, that's a good return for a guy who – is, you know, he plays either the second or third line for Toronto. You get a, a first-round pick and, yeah, a legitimate prospect you hope might be a third liner or whatever down the road. Like, and obviously Rodriguez as well, and, and they walked away from him. But, like, um, it's just, like, knowing what we knew at the time, it was good. And then just looking back now, it's like, oh, my God. Like, that is probably the trade of the offseason from someone actually getting rid of a player, I would assume. Like, I just... There's not too many more where I can actually think of someone getting just like that much value back for purely selling a player. No, I think it's it's a situation where they found someone who fell in love with a particular player rather than falling in love with a player type or uh, or, or a, a role that you're trying to fill. And then that team ended up paying whatever it took to get that specific player. Um, it, it really seems like the least took advantage of the Pens on this one. Now, I, I don't want to sound too down on, on Kaepernick because I think in, in talking this way, it makes it seem like I, I think Kaepernick's bad or, or that I don't think he helped the Leafs. I think he's actually pretty good. Um, and based on the season he just sat, had, I would say probably a little bit underrated. Uh, I say he's likely closer to the season prior than he is to this one. 
but even that being the case, at his best, I think he's probably a pretty good second line guy um, who in this market was likely being paid maybe just a hair over, probably about fair. Uh, but the Leafs are now in a position where they really can't afford to pay every single player a fair price to live in the cap is. So um, even if this this ends up turning around where uh, we're capping and really lights it up in, in, in Pittsburgh, when he's playing with Crosby or Malcolm, what have you, uh, which I think is entirely possible, it wouldn't really hurt me. It wouldn't make me feel any differently about, about the trade because I, I think that this is a good return, even if he turns out to be very good. I think there's going to be a lot of people trying to dunk on the Leafs when Kapanen inevitably does go on a PDO bender on Crosby's wing. But, like, I completely agree. That does not change anything about this trade. Like, it was fantastic. Yeah, and, I mean, different things mean mean uh, mean different things to, to different teams. Uh, and I've, I've said this with, with the Zaitsev deal. I, I know this is probably a sore spot for you, Alex, but, uh, but I think that that deal makes way more sense for the Sens than it does for the Leafs because the Sens are not a captain right now, are not expected to be brushing against the cap for a couple couple years still. They were able, in taking a terrible contract, one of the worst in the league, they were able to take a guy that ended up becoming, what is it, their their second highest point getter last season um, at a pretty reasonable cost. Uh, so I, it, that kind of deal makes sense, makes way more sense for the Sens than it did for the Leafs, who it was a killer. Um, not to say that I think Zaitsev is good or that that's a good deal for the Sens, but but it is maybe a, a negative five for the Sens, and it was a negative 25 for the Leafs just because of the situation they're in. And I, I think with Kapanen, the Leafs are so rich when it comes to wingers that it doesn't really help them as much as it helps the pens to be able to, to add someone with speed, someone that can keep up, uh, put them on Crosby's wing um, and give him someone that has a little bit of flash, a little bit of skill um, because he's been able to turn much worse players than Kapanen into real, real productive players. Yeah. I also should say, I mean, we'll, we'll move past this Kapanen thing in a second, but um, uh, it just came out today that, uh, uh, well, it was confirmed by Sullivan today in a podcast, I guess, that uh, Kapanen will be starting the year alongside Crosby. And, like, obviously, yeah, I didn't watch Kapanen as close as maybe you two did every year or every game. But, like, man, some of just, like, the boneheaded decisions he would make at times. And, and again, like, I think he's overall a good player. But there'd just be times where you see him on, like, a two-on-one or whatever. He just dumps the puck into the corner and goes for a change. You'd be like, I think that is going to drive someone like Sidney Crosby crazy. So it's like... As much as I think on paper there's enough of a fit there, there's also um, a bit of a not. I don't know if a danger is really the right word because he can just go play on the third line or second line or whatever. But there's a bit more of um, an uncertainty that it'll just absolutely work out in the Pens' favor as well. Yeah, I, I mean, that, no, no trade is risk free. That's for sure. I, I think the knock on Kapanen is that he's uh, he's a player whose body moves faster than his brain, uh, his hands and his feet. Are, are are very very high end, but he doesn't think the game that quickly, so he'll get into situations where he finds himself alone in the zone, uh, but ends up cutting back and trying to find a pass out that that, that he maybe could have just gone in for a shot. But I think when you're playing with Bradley Crosby, 
who thinks the game at such a cerebral level, um, I think they're probably hopeful that he can he can basically put Kapanen in positions where he can take advantage of, of the inherent skills that he has. But uh, I could see working out for them. I could see it not really working out for them. But uh, to me, it doesn't really affect the, the return of Scott. I think it's a, a home run regardless. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's my bad. Sorry, I had a pop-up at the start. Um, let's move on to the, the second part of the trade to get rid of money then. Um, Andreas Janssen goes to the New Jersey Devils uh, for free agent forward Joey Anderson. This one is much more of a cap dump, clearly. Um, I think Joey Anderson, you know, people say he's kind of a fringe NHLer, you know, might have a bit of a chip on his shoulder. He's not nothing, but at the same time, it's clearly a downgrade from Andreas Janssen. But this was one of the more that... Uh, was kind of in line of what you saw a lot this offseason, where it was like, um, you know, you, you clearly just needed to uh, get rid of some money and to be able to make other moves. And this was unfortunately a casualty of the cap, I think. Yeah, I, there's not not really much to say about it. I think it's it's a shame because I think Johnson is a, a pretty good player and this is a, a fairly mediocre return. Um, I think New Jersey is, is getting a guy that, that can really be productive for them. Uh, good middle six guy. They got him for a song. Uh, a guy that maybe makes a couple hundred grand too much just in the current market, but they can they can certainly afford it. Um, so they, they take advantage of, of this release or are pretty desperate for, for cap space. Um, now, what I will say is a caveat is that it, it seems like the Leafs think Joey Anderson can be a player. Um, I think it was Chris Johnson that reported that they, they did have an offer for a second-round pick on the board and offered to take Anderson instead. Um, now, that might be timing, like they think their window is sooner, so they'd rather take a guy they think is okay rather than a guy they might think is better than okay but won't be available for four years or so. Uh, it's hard to say where their head is at, but... Uh, I think they seem high on him. I, I won't pretend I had any idea who he was before this trade was made. Um, I learned his name when I saw he was traded for Andreas Johansson, uh, as I think almost everyone did, minus maybe his parents. Uh, but beyond that, I, uh, I I don't know how much you can really say, but I, I think I will miss Johansson. I, I, he was a great player. Um, kind of just caught fire at the right time, got himself a good deal, a little bit more than what he could afford to pay. It's, it's a tough situation, but uh, he is gone now and uh, I, I wish him the best i will say i was a little surprised they traded both captain and johnson because when they traded captain they were basically good they, they they maybe had to make a couple little fringe moves here and there but uh they had the cap to go and, and sign someone maybe not necessarily tj brody but uh they could have got everybody under the cap but but then they just went out and they just started signing guys just signing and signing everyone under the sun it seemed uh, European free agents and uh, actual free agents, and uh, it, they just they they basically got rid of the roster spot for for Janssen and, and and put themselves in a position where they they had to trade him. But I was a little surprised at the outset that they they ended up trading both Janssen and Kapanen because that that really changes the look and feel of their middle six. Yeah, I I think that um, uh, with Jan the the second part there with Janssen is. He was definitely part, I think, of um, the flat cap struggles where maybe if the if the cap rise is, you know, what, three million, two or three million, like they they thought yeah. it was supposed to this year, I think he's still here, right? Like that's that's his contract sure. pretty much. But like it's also uh, in double part that because it's like you probably could have kept Janssen if you didn't want to sign Wayne Simmons or, you know, someone else, right? And then that's kind of like what you said of they just seemed to sign a whole bunch of guys and I don't know. Like, I don't know if it's the right or wrong play. I, I don't really care. But, like, 
it definitely felt like they kind of they probably had the option of keeping him but decided no like we need a change um and, and it's not like it's not like losing Kapanen and Janssen is uh, a massive overhaul you know it, but it is a big enough change like that's two guys who would play on either your second or your third line um you know one on the second one on the third usually but like that's a big enough change for a team in an offseason um just in general it, when they're supposed to be considered you know one of the top I don't know, five, ten teams in the league, depending on who you talk to. But, um, yeah, like their whole bottom six is going to look really different this year uh, other than Jason Spezza from last year, really, and maybe Ilya Mikheyev, depending on where he slots in. But he might even fit more up the lineup. So um, I guess let's take a look at, you know, some of the bottom six signings. Um, we can start quickly with – I had the Spezza one written down. That's not a big thing. I, I – think that it was in terms of contracts like um, goals above replacement per like hundred thousand dollars um i think spezza last year ranked in like the top three contracts if you don't include elcs which makes sense because he's on a league minimum but like he was a legitimately valuable player for him and i saw a bunch of people that like just assumed he might not be back and i was really confused by that because he was one of them in my opinion anyways he was one of the most consistent parts of the leafs fourth line which wasn't always consistent last year yeah, I, I basically had him penciled in any any Armstrong GM thing that I played around with. Um, I, I thought there was no reason not to bring him back. He expressed interest in coming back. He's clearly willing to take a league minimum deal and provide, even if it's just just above league minimum, that's 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 great. That's exactly what the Leafs need is, is depth, cheap, cheap depth. Uh, he's he's a, obviously a great presence in the room. Somebody you can bring back and uh, fits right in. You know he fits your culture. I think that's, that's an awesome signing. Um, We'll probably touch on Thornton in a bit, but I think that uh, it kind of serves the same role where you're like, these are guys that have been around a long time. Um, they're going to give you hopefully more than what what they're being paid. And if they don't, it's completely risk-free because you can bury their contract completely and they likely write off in the distance. It's the perfect yeah. kind of bet to make when like there's no downside. Like, there's no way in which this could go wrong and cost you anything. It is the perfect bet to be making. Yeah, I mean, like, what's what's that? What's that's the worst that can happen here with the Spetsons trade? He's he's making seven hundred grand. Hey, you don't want him. You put it put him in the minors if you, you're not comfortable doing that. You you put him on waves and hope somebody claims him, um, or or he just walks away. Like, it, this is a player you never know. Like he, he might be willing to go to the minors. It's, it's a guy who's, who said he was basically interested in being with the Leafs. Uh, if it really doesn't work out, you, you put him on waivers, you hope the the Sens pick him up or something as a last hurrah there. But um, it's it's essentially risk-free. No, no reason not to make signs like this. Yeah, I mean, I think if you want to be really pessimistic, you could say the worst-case scenario is He's not good, but the coach doesn't want to scratch him or anything like that. But I don't really see that a being an issue and b just I don't know. Like I don't I don't think Toronto's um, management style is ruthless, but by, by any means. But like I do believe absolutely that it got, if it gets to the point where and we'll get in the Thornton one now. But if Spezza or say Thornton just doesn't have the wheels this year, they're they're not going to be playing. You know, like they're not going to yeah. be. Or if they are, it's going to be the twelfth or thirteenth forward just subbing in as needed. But Again, like, I don't really see that being an issue anyways, and especially with Spezza, I think, like, it fits so obvious that the coaching staff and the team, which both seem to love him, don't want to play him. I feel like he's going to realize that he's just kind of out of gas now, too, and he's going to be okay, so I think both sides will just kind of mutually part there, you know? Like, 
I don't know if that would be a, a contract termination or you just, you know, you designate him to the minors with the understanding that he's just not going to report or whatever. But, like, I think it would be fine. So, yeah, there's absolutely no risk in my opinion. And it kind of goes with the Joe Thornton thing to more of a degree maybe because I think Thornton's upside is higher, but his I, I think his floor is also a lot lower just because of yeah. his age, really, and his injury history. Yeah, I mean, Thornton is four years older than Spezza. Um and yeah, has in many ways harder miles on him. Um, although they both have played a kind of a skilled game, really. Uh, Thornton obviously is a, a living legend. Uh, there's not many bigger stars in the game left than Joe Thornton. Um, so to add him for seven hundred grand is 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 pretty awesome. But I think for him and and even Spezza for a lesser extent, like these guys, these guys have uh, a reputation. Like these, these guys are 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 stars. Um, in their own right. And, and I, I don't think that they would, they would be willing to watch their careers fizzle out. I think they have a lot of pride in their game. Uh, and if it became patently obvious that they didn't have it anymore, I, I can't imagine that there would be a ton of pushback that, that they should be hanging around. Like these are not, uh, these are not 28 year old players just climbing to try to stay in the league. Um, these guys know where they are. Uh, there's a reason that they've, they've come back home uh, and they've come back for, for league minimum is that they, they want to wake up and they want to do it at home and they have a lot of pride uh, and, and they have something to prove. And I don't think that either of them would be very well served to, to let themselves kind of squander around and, uh, and play poorly. So I, I'm not particularly worried about it um, because there, there really isn't a lot of downside. Um, I, I guess if it goes if it goes badly and they they get really mad and it's a big public brawl between them and the Leafs that could that could look bad. But um, I also have have faith in the Leafs to behave pretty pretty tactfully. Um, Babcock is not the coach anymore, so it's uh, it's it's a new regime there. Uh, at least some of the coaching staff. So I really don't have a lot of fear in that. That that isn't the mo of Sheldon Keith to uh, to to really draw something out and really put his put a target on his players. Um, Chase, do you have anything to add or should we move on? No, I completely agree. Like, I, I don't see a way in which this blows up publicly. Like, seems it, like obviously it could, but that's such a small risk. It's not even really worth worrying about. Yeah, and I think I th- one thing to add is just like, it's unbelievably cool that Joe Thornton is a leaf. It, and as much as that has no on ice impact or or very little on ice impact, I I can't wait to see him wearing Leafs jersey. Uh, this is a guy that I've watched play since I was a kid, and and he's gonna he's gonna be wearing my my favorite team's jersey. I think it's just unreal. Um, I think the guys, the younger guys on the team, especially guys that are that are local, Mitch Marner, Zach Hyman, guys like that. I'm sure they're psyched about it. Um, even Steve Simmons, he's a little bit older. I'm sure he's really thinks it's really cool um, that that Joe is is joining the Leafs. It's 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 something in the room, right? Like it's it's it says something to them that this this superstar, future Hall of Famer, first ballot Hall of Famer, um, no doubt, is sees something in that sees sees them as a legitimate threat to win the cup, and and has has decided that that he's willing to to come here. Um, on on a league minimum deal to to try to contribute and to try to win here and uh, for a team that has has fizzled out has had a lot of false starts 
I think that type, that kind of recognition and that kind of uh, voice in the room, I think is going to be really, really valuable. Um, and not, not to say that the Leafs don't have enough leaders. I'm, I'm sure they do. John Tavares, obviously, Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner. These are all guys that, that are known um, for, for being uh, good leaders. But you're adding a guy who's been there um, and it's not your typical depth player. Some random guy you signed for 700 grand that maybe gives you ever so slightly more than Joe Thornton is not going to have the presence to be able to tell um, Austin Matthews that he's slacking. It, it just won't be, it won't be there. Uh, so you, you, you get someone who's going to be able to push these guys. You get someone who's going to be able to be a, not a shoulder to cry on, but somebody that can, that can be there as a confidant or somebody that can, has been around that these guys can go and talk to. And you kind of forget how young a lot of them are, but um, William Nylander is the, the oldest of the, of the young core at 24. So uh, these are guys that are all just entering their prime. So having someone around who's, who's seen it all, uh, and has faced a ton of adversity in his own right, I think can only be positive. It's one of those things, too. Um, Steve Dangle always brings it up. I forget which dynasty he's talking about, if it was the Red Wings or the uh, old Canadian teams or whatever, and they said one of the things that was special about their team was, like, everybody was a quote-unquote leader. And, like, it's easy to be skeptical of that, but, like, I don't think there's a limit to the amount of good leaders you could possibly have in a room. People are talking about how it's an indictment dumb people were talking about how it's an indictment of Taveras or whatever, but the more the merrier, essentially. Yeah, like, why would you not want more people that take this seriously? Um, and you can you can be a leader at 19, you can be a leader at 41. You want players in the room that are that are, are coming to work, and they're coming because they want to win. And uh, I think that that you can't be hurt by having more than that. If, if you have 23 leaders in the room, you, you take it. Yeah, I, I yeah. totally agree with both of what you guys said. Um, let's move on to another one. So, like, just a bunch of uh, uh, guys who kind of fit under the um, leadership name, you know, with a, a bunch of uh, quote-unquote gritty experience, if you will. Um, Wayne Simmons signs a one-year deal, 1.25. Uh, another guy uh, – 1.5, sorry. Um, uh, another guy kind of – I think I think he's from the Toronto area, right, coming home. Um, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, from Scarborough. So another guy from the Toronto area coming home on a you know a cheap one-year deal. Um, to be fair, like I, I saw some people be like, "This is a steal for Wayne Simmons." This isn't the Wayne Simmons people remember from the um, past, uh, from uh, 2015 or whatever you're thinking of. Um, like the past two years, he has been like uh, a below replacement level player in terms of like or goals above replacement he's been minus 3.7 minus 4.9 over the past two years um now he's playing on some bad teams but still like I think if you're expecting a lot out of Wayne Simmons at this point you're going to be pretty disappointed so I'm really curious to see what he brings and where he actually fits in the lineup because honestly like I think if he's playing anything above fourth line minutes you're going to be regretting it yeah uh this is the one where I'm mixed because obviously I have uh, in the very recent past really liked Wayne Simmons. I think as, as recently as maybe three years ago, uh, I would have been extremely excited about, about Wayne Simmons joining the Leafs. I think where we are right now is it's hard to say how much of the decline we've seen over the last two years has been as a result of the team and how much has been as a result of him aging out. Um, He has, hard miles on him 
it's impossible to, to deny that this is a player that has played tough, tough minutes. And that's how he, that's how he stayed in the league. Like that's how he became uh, a star of the league is, is the way that he played. But those types of players also don't typically last that long. And he's already 32. So if this turns out to be a situation where he, he is a fourth line player or worse, um, this deal ends up looking like a bit of an albatross. Now it's, it's 1.5 million. So the majority of that could be buried. Uh, but I also think it's unlikely that they do bury this because Wayne Simmons had options. And when people say this is a discount for Wayne Simmons, they're partially right because it's a discount versus what the market would offer. But is it a discount in the way that Joe Thornton is taking a discount? Or is it a discount in the way that David Clarkson took a discount where you leave money on the table, but you still don't deliver to the money that you were given by this team? Uh, I'm cautiously optimistic that he has a little bit more left in the tank, um, but I, I hope they use him at max as a third line, fourth line tweener. Um, but I, I do fear that they see him more as a second line, third line tweener. And in that role, I'm not sure how much he has left. I'm, a, I, I'm especially worried at even strength. I don't see very many ways where this contract works out. So I think whether or not it's a good contract comes down to whether he's still got it on the power player or not. Yeah. And it kind of seems like he might. Um, the problem there is that the Leafs have a lot of players who can play on the power play. Like Zach Hyman can play on the power play. And that's probably the eighth best power play player they have or worse. So they did take a couple players out that had previously played there. Uh, you lose Kavanaugh, you lose, you lose Johnson. Uh, you slot Wayne Simmons into one of those spots. Okay, starts to look a little bit better. Um, I wonder if this is an indication that the Leafs did not really love the structure they went with last year, where they loaded up on one unit, uh, put them out for a minute 45, and then the other unit had 15 seconds of just wasting our time. Uh, I wonder if this means they're really going to go back to a two-unit system, uh, maybe break up Matthews and Marner or break up Tavares and Matthews. I don't know, but... Um, if they're bringing Wayne Sims and they want to get him any sort of value on the power play, they probably need to do it on PP2. I would hope so. Yeah, I don't really see a role for him on power play one. And I mean, like, um, you know, for how much skill the Leafs had on the power play last year, it was uh, uh, underwhelming, you know, for a majority of the year. And especially when that first unit came off, um, and this is, for, again, and felt like for a couple of years now, when that first, I remember a couple of years, I think it was Tavares's first year, the first unit would come off and it'd just be like Nylander, just doing, trying to do whatever he could by himself on the second power play unit. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I don't know. Maybe they keep, maybe they load one up still. I don't know. But like, they have a lot of potential options, as you said, on the power play where like Spezza and Thornton aren't bad options on a power play either, right? Like yeah. to, to pass the puck anyways, like neither of those guys are going to let one go with their shot, but like. Thornton is still one of the best passers in the game, and, you know, Spezza's no slouch of his own. So, yeah, like, Simmons plays the in front of the net role pretty well, but, like, you also have Tavares to do that, Hyman to do that. Like, I don't know. I, I think that there probably is a role for him on a power play, too, and fourth-line minutes, and if that's how he's used, I think it'll be okay. But any more than that, and I just, I would be really, uh, really cautious on, on trying to give him anything more than that, really. Yeah, I mean, even even they added Jimmy VC also, who uh, can be net front on the power play as well. So you start to ask, is is he the guy that they look to to put there, um, or is it Wayne Simmons? Uh, it, it, they bring two very different types of skill sets, but but 
ultimately be playing in the same spot there on PP2. So it's hard to say um, if they if they don't load up, you probably start to see something where you've got Matthews and Marner and someone like Thornton playing on PP1 with Morgan Riley. Maybe you just have it kind of be a, a passing system where they pass around, pass around until they ultimately try to get to, to Matthews, uh, a variation of what they were doing last year whereas Marner was basically doing all the passing last time around. And then your second unit ends up being some combination of Tavares and Nylander and Simmons or VC or Spezza or one of those guys. And you're just playing a little more even, but I don't know how they, I don't know how they do it if they try to load up again, because then you really don't have a spot for Simmons. Uh, and I, it still looks like he does have something to give on the power play. So you, you, you want to give him some minutes there, but you don't want to put them in, wedge them into a system where you're taking someone else out. It would be shades of when they they put Barry onto PP1 um, and pulled Riley off of it and put him on PP2, um, where it's like, okay, sure, that that's fine, but why? Yeah, yeah, really unnecessary. Sorry, Jade, go ahead if you have anything else. Also, I I uh, you mentioned about going back to double units, I think that might be a good thing. A lot of successful teams like the Capitals and Penguins or whatever kind of stack up with the one monster units. But if I remember correctly, the Leafs have had way more success when they went with the dual threat back in like the early Babcock years than they have recently with their power play. Yeah, I mean, they've had mixed results with both. I had I personally had no problem with the Jim Hiller power play. I know it became much... Um, much criticized in, in this nation for being too predictable. But the reality is they kept getting high danger chances throughout. They just stopped converting on them. Um, and I'm, I'm not sure when we stopped looking at PDO, but um, that obviously is, is going to come back to earth. <laughs> like you're, you're not going to just not score on any of your high danger chances for a sustainable time. Um, so it really seemed like they tried to fix a problem that, that really was real when they changed up the whole system this time around. Now, there were good things about the power play this year. Um, they basically developed Matthews a one-timer, which he didn't have up until this point, which is a, a massive weapon for them. Um, so I, I, didn't hate, I didn't hate the power play this year, uh, but I also didn't hate it last year. So I, I really just kind of want to see them mix it up a little bit more, not be so rigid to where they really only play one way. Uh, I think if, if there's a criticism of the Leafs in general, that might be it, where they can be predictable at times. There there are, are a lot of situations where they really just seem stymied, like a team plays them in a very specific way, and they can't find a way to get out of that mold. Uh, I think that's basically what we saw against Columbus uh, it looked like a Columbus series, even though I think the Leafs looked better in most of those games. They looked like Columbus Blue Jacket games. They did not look like Maple Leaf games for the most part. So I, I'm hopeful that they find a way to break out of that in general. But the the power play is certainly one area where, where that is a criticism that would be fair of them in the past. They're just very predictable. Yeah, um, I don't have much more to say on that. I don't know if either of you do. Too. Um, but if not, I think we should move on to. We got three more names that I wrote down. Um, I guess there's probably a couple more that I also missed just from you know Europe or whatever. But Zach Bogosian was the la- uh, one of the. I don't know if I call him a big name, but a big enough name that I think most people would probably know who who he is. He just came off of a cup win with Tampa. Um, 
I'm curious to see where he fits in the lineup because to me he's kind of like Wayne Simmons where it's like I don't know like I, I don't know he people cited that he played top pair minutes sometimes in Tampa but I was like yeah but he played alongside Victor Hedman you know like I could probably look pretty good playing alongside Victor Hedman um I think he's got a little more to give but I think again he's one of those guys where if you're asking to do anything over sixth defenseman, you're going to have a, a tough time um, watching Bogosian out there. So I, I'm really curious to see kind of where he fits in with this lineup because um, they have Muzzin, Riley, and Brody. Those are the three that are guaranteed. I would assume Justin Hall is probably going to be in the lineup. And then you have some mix of Travis Dermott, Zach Bogosian, Miko Lettinen, and Rasmus Sandin as your bottom pair. So I, I wonder how they approach this year. Yeah, this is the one that I really did not get. And if there was, as much as I I, I was lukewarm on a lot of these, um, I I did not like the signing. I didn't get this signing. I I don't know who they plan to play Zach Bogosian over in the lineup, but I, I can't think of anyone that is on their roster right now that I would prefer Zach Bogosian play. He's the guy that is good on the penalty kill, and that is basically it he he had good numbers for a very small stretch in the playoffs with tampa while playing with victor hedman and unless the leagues also get victor hedman in some sort of weird technical loophole <laughs> when they sign zach Bogosian, i i don't think he's going to bring that same sort of energy to this team uh i just don't get it i, I mean i guess it's pretty risk-free he's he's only making a million bucks so if this doesn't work out you just ditch him but like who who does he play over? I, you mentioned Miko Lennon is coming in. I have way more faith that Miko Lennon coming in as one of the best defensemen in the KHL is going to be able to contribute more than four-year-older Zach Bogosian, who really has not shown much of anything for years, <laughs> ever really. I, I, I did not get the signing at all. Yeah, if you go to like the, the di- distribution of possible outcomes, like... Zach Bogosian's distribution is just centered around replacement level, and like you're pretty certainly getting that. Whereas with Miko Lettinen, like maybe it is centered around replacement level too. I don't know enough about him, but like there's certainly way, way, way more upside in like the tail outcomes where things go well for Miko Lettinen, and he's way better than Zach Bogosian. There's there's more to dream on, right? Like he's yeah. he's in the mystery box, the, the, and and usually the the idea there is like, well, you can take the mystery box, you can take the boat, but Zach Bogosian is like a, a dinghy at best. He's 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 not a player that is so good that I'm like, well, you gotta you gotta have this guy. He's a stable presence. Like who's who is Zach Bogosian? He's 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 never been a star. He's never been anything. It's like they, he's, it's like they brought him in as one of these aging vets, former stars who are just trying to juice their last bit of juice, uh, last bit of good hockey, but he is never that good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, you prefer one the good boat. playoff with Tampa. Yeah. Like the boat's better when the boat is John Tavares, as opposed to the mystery box of cap space that might be a right-handed defenseman, yeah. not with yeah. Zach Gosian, who's been, basically replacement levels entire career. Yeah. Zach Bogosian is a boat that you will very likely sink on. There's a boat full of holes. And Unless I don't know where he plays. Like, like I, I look at it and I, I think, okay, based on this roster, even without Zach Bogosian, Rasmus Sandin is probably not on the team. 
Timothy Lilligren almost certainly not on the team. So even those two decisions in my okay, I get it, but I don't know that I necessarily agree. I would have liked to see them get some minutes, but fine. Assume they're both gone. You still have Jake Muzzin, Justin Hall, Morgan Riley, TJ Brody, Miko Lettman, and Travis Dermott. Zach Bogosian cannot play over any of those six players. It would be a crime. Yep. So does that mean they're playing with 7D now and he's just their PK specialist? Maybe. <laughs> that, I mean, that might be something we want, we want to touch on if that's, if that's their plan. But I, I think the risk in doing something like that is that as much as those types of schemes might look good on paper, players are often uncomfortable doing them. These are not things that they're used to doing where you've got a guy cycling in all the time. And um, it, it might be hard to get buy-in on it. Maybe it's okay if you've got a couple guys doing that all the time, but I really don't know. I, I don't know what they were thinking with the signing. It, it, it just, it's beyond me, especially when you consider that it's rumored now that they were in on Zach Bogosian last year and they were meet, going to meet with Zach Bogosian for the purposes of trying to sign him and then didn't end up doing that after the, uh, the game where they lost to their own uh, Zamboni driver because they felt they didn't, the team didn't deserve help or they, they felt like they needed to find this, the answers in the room, whatever you want to say. Um, so this is a guy that they've been coveting for two years now. I, I do not get it. It scares the hell out of me that they thought Zach Bogosian was the help that the team needed last year. Oh God! It's like uh, you're 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 drowning, and uh, somebody throws you an anvil on a rope. Yeah, like Thanks I for the help, champ. That that story really really worried me when it came out. I think it was Chris Johnson was talking about it. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, that that did not make me very happy, and it made me, especially since they gave him a no trade. Like, there's a lot of red flags around this signing. Like. You can justify it if you have faith that they use him in very specific ways, but I think there's a lot of reasons to not expect them to use him in that way where he is that seventh defenseman who just kills penalties. Yeah, I I, I guess if that's if that's what they're gonna do, I can kind of get behind it because legitimately he has value on PK. I, I will give them that. I but the problem is unless this is a, a seven D situation, he's gonna have to play a five on five sometimes. And at that point, you've added a hole on the roster that can now be exploited. Well, and even if it if they are going 7D, like, that's fine some games. But, like, over – I mean, this one probably won't be a full season. It's probably more likely than not. It's 48 games or so. But, like, 48 games in the span of three and a half months or whatever, that's a lot of hockey. And, like, that's a lot of hockey for 11 forwards to be playing, you know? Like, I, I just – I don't see how you can justify playing it that much because you're going to – tax your um, top six so much to the point where it's like you're risking them being legitimately fatigued over a full season by the time they get to the playoffs, right? So it's like maybe their plan is to just do 70 some games and have him as the 70 at other times. He can sub in when someone else needs a break because I think this year is going to be kind of like a lockout shortened season where there could be a lot of back-to-backs or three games and games. games. Um, it could be a situation where, uh, you know, like you, you, you sub him out for, um, I don't know, say Miko Lettinen or whatever needs a break. Maybe you sub him out then, but like, I don't know. I, I just feel like the, the, the way they talked about him and 
and the way he's he's regarded himself and you know after winning a cup it feels like he probably would have had a couple spots he could go i am a little worried that they they use it a little more than you know just as a seventh defenseman every couple games and they they kept they being probably the media but in reference to the leafs is talking about presence and looking for somebody that it brings presence or brings like an extra something to the room uh, which is fine i uh, i think ha- wanting guys that have those qualities is great I and mean, we've we've talked we've waxed poetically for 10 minutes about how how great that is with guys like thornton and spezza uh what they can bring to a room on top of what they bring to the ice but the difference there is that it's on top of what they bring to the ice if you're talking about Zach Bogosian, other than his PK contribution, there's not much there. So, what what level of presence is he bringing if he's if he's in the press box for, for half the season? Uh, it's just it's eating up a roster spot and it's eating up minutes. I'd rather go to someone else. I'd I'd much rather see Razu Sandin in half the games than Zach Bogosian or even Timothy Lilligren, who I think we've basically written off at this point, and I think it's extremely premature to have done that. Uh, he's still a very young player. He, yes, he's been he's been uh, leapfrogged by by the younger Razi Sandin, but that is more of a, a coup for Sandin than it is a knock on on Lilligren. And these are two guys who are likely now not going to get very minutes, very many minutes at all, as a result of signing someone like like Zach Bogosian. I I don't get it. <laughs> I I'd love to be proved wrong as I as I would love to be proved wrong on any player who I don't think is going to get much, but. I just don't. I just don't see what he's bringing to the table here. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I think you guys have explained pretty much all I thought about it too. Um, let's. I don't know. Like, do you have anything passionate to say about either of Boyd or VC other than they're both guys who can probably chip in at the bottom of the lineup? I, I, like, we we don't have to spend too much on them. If you have anything to say, go for it. Uh, no, I mean, Travis Boyd is a guy that I, uh, don't know who he is to this day. Um, if I saw him on the street, I'd, I'd pass him right by. Um, no offense to Travis Boyd, but I, I don't, I don't think this is a guy they think is going to be a regular. He's just a, an extra, an extra body, an extra guy that can play center, which is good. Makes, makes minimum. You can, you can wave him. He probably gets through, uh, just somebody good to have. Uh, no, no issues there. It seems like he's got a little bit of skill on the fourth line. No problem. No problem with that. Jimmy VC is interesting. Uh, again, totally variable. He's someone who doesn't really uh, get many assists, but has has scored a little bit in his career, uh, albeit has done that while getting opportunities. He probably didn't earn uh, based on the, the level of results that he was getting, but he's someone that, that I think would be fine. Um, neither of those are really moving the needle, I don't think. But um, VC, VC is more interesting. Uh, he's maybe someone you think, okay, we can unlock that whatever everyone was seeing four years ago when he was entering the league. Uh, we'll be the team to unlock that. Uh, I don't know if it's likely, but who knows? Uh, it's it's another one of these risk-free signings. Um, my only my only real caveat to that is that I think it's likely that, that VC needs to line up. Um, and that's another body in the head of Nick Robertson, who I think really showed a lot last year um, in the playoffs, or play-ins, I should say, um, and obviously killed it in the CHL. And if having VC in the lineup means that, that Nick Robertson is, is kind of twiddling his thumbs in, in the CHL again, 
I don't know. It's, it's mixed. I I'm, I'm obviously not a prospect expert. I don't, I don't claim to be, but I don't know how much more you get out of a guy uh, who just put up 55 goals in, in very few games in, in the CHL. So uh, that would be my only criticism of the move, but beyond that, I think DC is fine. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, um, I don't know. It, it would have been, I think I, could defend the Robertson thing more if he was allowed to play in the AHL this year. But considering I'm pretty yeah. sure he's got to go back to junior, right? Like it, it, if he would have been the AHL, you could at least like have the argument where it's like, he's still playing against full grown men. Like you're going to develop some skills down there, but yeah, like, I don't know. It, it kind of reminds me obviously nowhere near to the extent, but like when Mitch Marner in his draft plus one year, just freaking torched the OHL. And then it was like, yeah, no, he can't do this again. Like, you just you're literally not going to gain anything from that. Obviously, it's not to the same degree, but it's it's kind of the same idea where it's like, yeah, like how much is he really going to gain in terms of knowledge from just putting up even bigger numbers in the OHL for half a year, right? No, and I mean it, yeah. it probably doesn't hurt him. I, and I think I think the one the one thing that does make sense is he's still World Juniors eligible. Uh, so this is a guy that will likely be a big impact player in the World Juniors. So you say, okay, that's going to be coming up pretty soon anyway. Uh, you have him go to that camp. You have him go to that training. He makes that team. He plays through the tournament. After that, we see what happens. I, I think there's certainly justification in that, um, that you want to take a look at how he does there before you, you call him up to the big leagues, which is fun. Um you hear a lot of people talking about like, oh well, maybe maybe they'll have to cut some kind of a deal if if the CHL looks like it's it's either not playing or it's like some type of modified play, then maybe they'll they'll have a deal where they can play in the minor leagues. But I think that's wishful thinking. I don't think there's any way the CHL would agree to do that. Uh, they do not want to open the door to start letting their players play in the NHL. So uh, anyone thinks that's going to happen, I I would uh, I would advise against hoping for that. Yeah, I have yep. no idea uh, they would want to set the precedent that the top players can go back when they already have it so that they cannot. Or, like, go to the AHL, I mean, when they, they're they not currently allowed. I have no idea why the CHL would budge on that. No, they, they would I've always thought... No, no way. And this is a bit of a tangent here, but I, I've always thought that the deal that, that they should cut with the CHL is that they push the draft the draft age back a year, and then they they let the CHL keep the superstars an extra year, basically the guys that would make the NHL right away. Um, and in exchange, they they pull back the 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 age for when you can hit hit the AHL. So they basically say, okay, you get drafted for your 19th year, um, for your year 19, I should say. Um, but then you uh, you can you can either play in the A or the CHL again or the NHL whatever you just do whatever you want. Um, so they get they get an extra year of this the incredible stars. They get their McDavid's for another year. They get their Ekblad's for another year. The guys that are really marketable. They lose a year of guys like Mitch Marner or that that tier of player that ends up going back for one year. Um, but then the teams gain the ability to uh, to send their prospects wherever they want them. That's that's what I've always thought that they should try to do. Um, but who knows? Who knows if any of them would want that? 
Yeah, it also maybe be an issue with like I don't know. It's an interesting idea for sure. But like the one thing I would think if there's like a European prospect, like would they be able to get drafted a full year earlier then and then just go straight to the NHL anyways? Like maybe there'd be a market inefficiency for younger guys at the top of the draft because of that reason. Although only for probably one or two picks, but I don't know. It's an interesting idea. Um, last yeah, idea, but those guys like anyway, any, anyway, like why is the age 18? Let's say. Yeah. Like a lot, a lot of those players are playing in pro leagues anyway. Like if you have a top, a top flight European prospect, he's probably playing in a men's league in Europe already. Um, so to, to just play there for an extra season doesn't seem like a big deal. But this is a complete tangent. This has nothing to do with the Leafs and people are here to listen to the Leafs. <laughs> um, last thing I had to talk to you guys about, um, I was going to say where, you know, with the additions, everything with this team, where do you think um, you see them in up this upcoming year? So what I was originally going to do was the Atlantic, but um, I think we'll do both now because it, it's um, it's looking more and more likely just with border restrictions up here in Canada that uh, there might be an all-Canadian division at least to start the year. Um, so who knows how the standings would work, but I would assume if you're playing every Canadian team three or four times, that would mean you have an all-Canadian division for a singular year, even if you play some American teams later. But um, So let's go through, and we'll start with the uh, the Atlantic. You know, In, in their actual division – where would you have projected them to be? And we'll start with that. So me personally, I I think it's uh, relatively hard to I, – I think it's almost impossible to uh, not have Tampa won in this division just, you know, after last year. Like, they, they won the Cup. They've been the best team in the division for the better part of half a decade now. And there's just not much to say. You know, like, they lost – they're going to lose a little bit of talent, you would think, at some point this offseason. But I really don't think they're going to lose too much. So, for me, it's hard to not have Tampa won. But, honestly – and I keep talking myself into this year after year, but maybe this is the year where it's like Boston's going to have a bunch of injuries early, you know? Like, Rask – I think it's Rask that's questionable, and there's a couple other guys that are a little bit questionable. Krug left. Their blue line looks a little empty. Honestly, like, would it be that much of a stretch to suggest Toronto finishing second in this division for once? Yeah, I mean, I've spent so many years waiting for for Boston to age out. I'm I'm probably just gonna let them do it, and then I'll 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 pull them out of to the top two when that happens. So I I would probably say I've got the Lightning and then and then the Bruins and then the Leafs. Um, but I would be very happy if uh, if the Bruins fell apart a little bit. Um, God knows they do. Yeah, they are. At some point, Bergeron and Marshawn and all like at some point they do have to age. It's just yeah. whether or not that's actually this year. Yeah, I mean, who knows what happens with the goaltending situation? Um, it was stellar last year, absolutely stellar. But those two older guys, um, you never know. They're probably either going to lose Char or get him back at a, a diminished rate. He's he's getting up there. Uh, in age, of course, um, and he I, maybe he's the type of guy that's going to come back at league minimum, but I think he probably wants a little bit more than that. So, uh, does he end up being overpaid? Does he hurt them? Who's to say? Uh, they got some some good younger guys, obviously Pasternak, um, McAvoy, guys that that are coming up to, to take the reins. But yeah, if you start to see diminished returns on Marshawn and Bergeron, uh, you could see them fall off pretty fast. I I just don't know that we're we're quite there yet. Um, I think we probably probably have a season or two still to go before we start to see that, but um, it would make me very happy. 
Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, like they still want a deeper, like the, the forward signings for Boston this year were great for what it's worth too, right? But I don't know. Yeah. I, I think uh, I think it would be closer, a lot closer. Like, you know, in the past couple of years, it's like the Leafs have just been locked into three for most of the year. And like last year was a bit more of a chase with Florida, but like, like the, it feels like most of the Babcock years when they played Boston was like they knew who they were playing and where they were going to be set for literally like five months. I think this year it would be at least different, especially just because of a shortened season. Right. But um, then an all Canadian division, like I, I don't know, like I, I've seen a lot of people talk about how like this would be an open division. There's 16 or seven teams plus, or no, sorry, six teams plus Ottawa who could be first. No, like Toronto's, I'm sorry, Toronto's the best team in this division. And like, yeah, by, by us, I think. I want to be like, overdramatic, right? like, but like they're the overwhelming favorite in this division. They should be. There wouldn't be because of whatever narrative, but they, yeah, they would dummy this division. Yeah, I mean, like, you, you would think, like, last year I would have said maybe Vancouver, but I don't know. Like, I haven't liked their offseason. I still like their core, but, like, losing Markstrom could hurt. But like, they added Schmidt, but they lose Markstrom and they lose um, Foley. Yeah, and and they were really heavily reliant on goaltending last year too. So even if Markstrom came back, there would have been a good chance that just took a a natural regression back to the mean, right? Like yeah. I don't like Calgary. I'd like their offseason for this year, but I don't think and they you know losing, losing Brody to the Leafs. Yeah. Um, Tanev's a downgrade. You know Markstrom and Nets an upgrade for sure, but like and and then you have like Edmonton, Montreal, and Winnipeg, who all have some upside, but also some pretty major flaws, and just, other than Edmonton, a lack of really high-end talent like the Leafs have. Yeah, I mean, Edmonton, obviously, um, would be the other contender, I guess, but, yeah, they're, just, they're not that deep. They, they have the best player in the world, and then an extremely, extremely good player uh, in dry side up front, and a couple of nice pieces in, in and around, but, yeah, not much. And did, did they sign a goalie, or are they coming back with Mike Smith again? Mike Smith. They re-signed Mike Smith and Mika uh, Koskinen. That seems like a losing proposition, honestly. I I don't think that they, I don't think they would contend with the Leafs in this division. I mean, it's it's famous last words for me here, but I I I think the Leafs would absolutely decimate this this division. Like I guess I guess the Canadians got better, um, but they who's who's gonna score for them? Like they still have nobody. They and they took one of the few guys they had that had any sort of scoring prowess in Max Domi. They traded him for Josh Anderson. So I don't know. I, I they, the Leafs better be better be praying that this is a Canadian division because the Atlantic division there is tough sledding for them. They're they're basically in a division with two of the top five teams in the league, and then. If they went into an all-Canadian division, is there another top 10 team in there? Maybe. No, like, just maybe. I, I think maybe 10 or 9, maybe. I think I think, I think it was Dom Lushishin wrapped it up pretty nicely in his one article where he said, the issue with an all-Canadian division from, uh, well, like the good thing about Toronto, but it's, like, it's not that it's bad. There's a lot of, there's like almost no bad teams other than Ottawa. The issue with an all-Canadian division in terms of like, um, the quality of the division as a whole is there's about five or six meh teams that literally are like from 10 to 20 in that range, probably six of the teams or sorry, five of the teams in that division probably line up there. Right. Like, and then you have yes. Toronto in the top, I don't know, place them wherever you want top six, 
ish, probably, right? Like I think Tom had them at six. Yeah. yeah. So I, I would maybe not be quite that bullish, but yeah, they're comfortably in the top ten. Uh, yeah. Like I don't know that Ottawa on the is. bottom five. Like, but then everyone else is just so. You know, like you, you could get a good year from them, and they could go up to like the sixth best team in the league. But you could get a bad year and be the twenty fourth best team in the league or whatever, right? Like that's just kind of where every team is in that division. I think. I, I think so. I mean, it's it's hard to, and even if you're one of those other teams, it's hard to be mad because, uh, like, unless unless you're Vancouver currently sitting in the Pacific, um, this is likely to be an easier division, at least competitive outside of the Leafs. Even if you if you say, okay, well, the Leafs have that spot, um, all the other teams are in with a fighting chance to get the other the other two and potentially even a wild card, considering they'd be playing each other a lot. So they're um, their competition would not be as fierce. So uh, I don't know. I, I, I think it'd be, it would be really cool just from a storyline perspective. Like you could, you could have a, you could have a battle of Alberta every, every other week uh, or, or Toronto, Montreal, which we Saturday night. But beyond those storylines, I think this would be very, very good uh, as far as increasing the least likelihood of a making the playoffs and B making it in with a good position because in the Atlantic division, uh, they're basically in that third spot until the Bruins decide that they're done. And, and until that point, it's going to be tough for them to claw their way above either Tampa or, or uh, Boston. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Chase, you have anything else to add? Yeah, no, I completely agree with basically all of it. I think the Canucks are the only team whose playoffs odds get worse as a result of the Canadian division. Like yeah. everybody else has helped essentially. Yeah. Pretty I mean, I would assume the three Pacific teams might have a little bit of a, a gripe with it just because, like, if you look at, like, I think Toronto is obviously a lesser team than Vegas, but it's the extent of it isn't as aggressive as uh, Montreal and Ottawa compared to the three California teams, which are just yeah. freaking horrible. So, like, You're I think three like of those four, four to six or seven. Yeah, exactly. So, like, I think all three of those teams, maybe they would um, not complain. Like, I don't think you do what you have to, right? But, like, yeah, I think maybe for Vancouver, but, like, also Edmonton, Calgary in a way, just because it's, like, like that division could have been so bad this year. Like, I think I was looking at the other day, and, like, because Arizona's in that division too, right? And, yep. like, Arizona might be horseshit this year too if they just decide to sell off most of their team. Like, yeah. Yeah, and if John Gibson can't carry the Ducks, like that gets really ugly really fast. Yeah, so I don't know. Like, like I think the the three Pacific teams probably are should be a little bit disappointed, but even them, like it's not like adding Winnipeg, Montreal, and Ottawa is going to make the division like a gauntlet to get through. It just makes it slightly harder than it probably would have been with three California teams and the Arizona Coyotes in your division. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the team that will complain the most will be um, Vancouver, partially because they probably were in a better spot to make the playoffs in the Pacific than they would be in the Canadian division, and also they're probably going to be contending with some pretty shitty times for the games. Uh, because the reality is, every time Vancouver and Toronto play. Uh, it's like some weird, weird 8 p.m. game time, and then it ends up being like six or six or five p.m. over in at west. So, it's uh, it's gonna be interesting. 
there, there's a reason that the Canadian division doesn't already exist, and it, it would be pretty pretty odd to to see how they contend with it. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that's probably all. Unless uh, Chase, do you have anything else? No, I don't think so. All right, cool. We'll wrap it up. You said the you said the last twenty minutes were probably going to get lost to the ether when uh, when you do the editing. So should we talk about the sense for a little bit? I don't think people want to hear about that. <laughs> Not if they're tuning in this one. It would be great spot to plug okay. thing, though. If they want to hear about that, they can hop onto my other podcast, the Last Word on Sends podcast. Um, uh, no, th- thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I, I always tell people just plug plug your stuff. So whatever you want to plug, go for it. Oh God, I don't do anything. Uh, <laughs> you can uh, read my stuff by googling my twitter handle and the least nation <laughs> that's probably where you'll find my stuff i what did i write most recently uh i wrote that the Leafs should sign uh, pk suban like uh six months ago so that that's cool i guess um or trade for him but uh that's probably not gonna happen so i don't know that 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 makes sense to read you can go back and read uh my article where i said that they should sign john Tavares before they did that that's probably a good one but uh, yeah, I guess I just, yeah, you could go to my Twitter handle, I suppose. Um, it's uh, at totally underscore offside. Just uh, follow me and then immediately mute me because I don't want you to unfollow me. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm kind of at a loss for words. I, I don't have too many people go, what the hell? I don't do anything. But uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I uh, all jokes aside, like I, I do, if anyone wants to pay any bit of attention to the Leafs, I, I totally recommend following you. Um, you know, it, it doesn't seem to, or even hockey in general, you know, like it's Leafs oriented, but uh, you definitely t- seem to talk about whatever's going on around the league. Um, but, you know, I, I think you've been one of the longest people I followed, even though, I'm a Sens fan, so I, yeah, I definitely can't recommend it enough. Um, thank you so much for joining us today. It was an absolute blast. Uh, for anyone else listening, if you want to find Chase and I's work, uh, you can go to lastwordonhockey.com. You can find me at milehighhockey.com. You can find me on Twitter at NHL Sens and stuff, and Chase on Twitter at CMHockey66. I should plug that Chase actually did something again this week, so go check that out at lastwordonhockey.com. Um, Other than that, thank you all for listening, and we'll talk to you all next week. Bye.